You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details. Welcome to the Gravity Leadership Podcast. Gravity Leadership is a community of people seeking to live our lives in the orienting center of God's love in the midst of our post-Christian world, learning to lead like Jesus, live on mission, and make disciples. In nature, gravity is the phenomenon that brings stuff together, objects as small as atoms and quarks, and as large as stars and galaxies. We believe the gravity of the Christian life is the love of God revealed in Jesus Christ. The Gravity Leadership Podcast is curated conversations on what it looks like to practically orient our lives and our leadership in the love of Christ, the gravity that holds everything together. Well, good day, friends. Welcome back to the Gravity Leadership Podcast. I'm flying solo today. My partners in podcasting, Ben Hardman and Ben Sternke, are otherwise engaged, but that's okay because I've got my new friend, uh, becoming a good friend, Dan Kent with me. Hey, Dan. Hello. Uh, Dan is part of the Renew community, which is um, Greg Boyd's ministry up in Minnesota. But Dan, why don't you uh, give us an official introduction to kind of who you are? All right. Um, I... I, basically, I if in this world of theology, I kind of came up with Greg Boyd and Paul Eddy. I was Paul Eddy's very first teaching assistant, and Paul Eddy has written a couple books with Greg, um, The Jesus Legend and a few others. Uh, Across the Spectrum is another one of their popular ones. And I was actually Paul Eddy's very first teaching assistant, Cynic Sager, Son of God, that's right. And, um, and so I kind of met Greg through Paul. Um, and... At the time, this was in the mid-90s, uh, I had lost a, a dear friend to cancer, and I was trying to wrestle through, you know, how how does God fit into all of this, and and that's when I came upon open theism, and it just so happened that one of the kind of prominent open theist thinkers was at the university that I was at, so I kind of got to know Greg through that. Um, he, he didn't really, I mean, he gets so many people who talk to him that he didn't yeah. really recognize me for 15 years later then he used to call me Kent even while we were <laughs> even when we started the podcast together he still didn't really know my name so <laughs> but now I, we're 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 pretty good friends and and he knows my name now so, good yeah, that's yeah. good then and yeah. so uh, what do you spend most of your time doing well, really, I do a lot of I do the the Renew podcast. It's called Ask. Oh, it's it's called Greg Boyd Apologies and Explanations, and it's basically um, three times a week we release an episode, and it's a five to ten minute episode where people submit questions and Greg answers them, and I sort of facilitate the whole thing. 
And then I write. Uh, I've got a, a, a book series called The Training of KX12, which is sort of a modern screw tape letters uh, yeah. take. And um, it's a series. And then uh, I just have a book that we're going to talk about today, which will be out in May. Yes. Uh, let me just say this to our listeners. The answers and ap- is it answers and apologies? No, it's called uh, Apo- Apologies and Explanations. And Explanations. Okay. Yeah. It is, it's an amazing podcast in the sense that they're like four to seven minute little yeah. snippets. And they're qu- you just throw questions at Greg. He doesn't know what the question is ahead nope. of time. And... Um, it's all publishable. Like yeah. it's it's amazing. He's amazing. He, yeah, it really is. And so if you're looking yeah. for a podcast that's in, intellectually stimulating, but also I think devotional. I mean, I, I find myself uh, out loud glorying God during listening to it. So that's I got to cool. make sure I don't do it in the library. <laughs> it's uh, it's an incredible podcast. So check that out. And so Dan, anyway, we are going to talk about your book today. We're in the middle of a series right now on power and how Christians relate to, understand, and inhabit power. And, and all the definitions and competing constructs about power in our world. And you've written a book that is called Confident Humility. Yep. Right? Becoming your full self without becoming full of yourself. Be- <laughs> becoming your full self without becoming full of yourself. And, and we were talking about this offline. This book is all about power, mm-hmm. right? Yep. So most people think of humility. I know, I, I mean, this is my dominant imagination. Humility is like the absence of pride, mm-hmm. right? Yep. And so it, you're either prideful or humble. And in this book, you deconstruct that and you say, not so fast, Yeah. right? Tell that's us right. tell us about why yeah. that's an incomplete or insufficient understanding. Of- that's right. Well, on first glance, that seems very intuitive to think that, that humility is the opposite or the absence of pride because it's hard to imagine a person who is prideful, arrogant, and humble at the same time. Right. And uh, but, but it's incomplete because the opposite of pride is not humility, it's shame. And, and so if you, if you take the, the hypothesis or you take the proposition that humility is the opposite of pride, then the only way to grow in humility is to grow towards shame. And mm. that's very dysfunctional. Mm. And so um, what, what I came upon in my study on humility is uh, Jesus' teaching on humility, uh, humility in Matthew 23. And he seems to suggest that humility is the opposite of both shame and pride. And if you think of pride or arrogance, I like to use that word. Um, arrogance or pride is sort of thinking that you're better than other people. And yeah. shame is just the opposite, thinking that you're inferior to other people, you're below other people. Hmm. And and so Jesus says that humility is the opposite of both. And, uh, hmm. uh, and, and so the way, the best kind of analogy that I've heard is is the analogy of pacifism. Uh, and so winning a war is the opposite of losing a war, but pacifism is the opposite of both. You wouldn't say that pacifism is a balance between winning a war and losing a war. No. It's just a different thing altogether. Right. And I think the same thing, the way Jesus teaches humility is it's a different thing altogether than whatever uh, shame and pride is. Whatever the, whatever begets both shame and pride, humility is the opposite of that thing. Okay. This is why this book is so profound, because I was in a conversation with a pastor. I think I've shared this before on the podcast. I was in a conversation with a pastor several months ago, and we were describing, we were talking about the Enneagram. Right, yeah, so the enneagram yeah. is this uh, way of understanding our core sin, or the thing that thing that really um, uh, sort of you know kind of gets gets us sidetracked in the Christian life. And um, I was describing the journey to this guy who happens to be a Presbyterian pastor, like a you know hardcore kind of reformed PCA guy. Hmm. And 
And I said that the breakthrough moment for this person who wrote this Enneagram book was um, there, like he was in the, in the middle of the night, in the middle of a road, and, he, and it was a rainstorm, you know, very dramatic, right? <laughs> it's like uh, John Cusack <laughs> with a, with a boombox, you know, like super dramatic. Um, and he looked up at the sky and he shook his fist and he said, there's not a damn thing wrong with me. And uh, I was sharing the story because my, my journey has been through trying to fix my pride with shame. Hmm. Right? What you're yeah, saying, right? That's, that's right. I'm really in touch with my pride. And if I, if I loathe my pride enough, mm-hmm. if I condemn my pride enough, I'll learn humility. Right? And when I read this in this book, it was 2014, I had this reckoning or this realization that there isn't enough shame in the universe to fix my pride. And that was a spiritual breakthrough for this guy in the middle of the street. He was, he was living under this loathsome shame, and for him to break free of that, like he, he, had, to, he had to like acknowledge that I'm, there is good in me. That's right. Right. So anyway, I share this, and this 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 Presbyterian guy loses it. Hmm. Loses it. He says, uh, "Well, that's prison. That's a prison because there's there's every damnable thing wrong with him." Hmm. And he just goes on this rant about how um, that's not you, you can't receive grace from that place. There's you get this you you get sort of this misunderstanding of how we. Uh, uh, even can stand before a holy God. Um, all these people in my church, even the people who experience shame, they need to hear how unworthy they are. And I found myself getting like furious with wow. this man, right? But this is a common misconception. Absolutely. Right? So can you share, can you unpack that a little more? Like how does our theology feed this pride, shame, like... Um, prison that we get in. Yeah. Well, I think what I I found and the reason why I even came on upon this this study to begin with is because I was saved in a church that had a very low view of human nature just like that where uh you know it, and it wasn't always like explicit. Sometimes it was just you know people in prayer would say, you know, Lord, I am a despicable sinner, hopelessly dependent on you and other people in the group would say amen, amen and and you know, I was only 16 at the time and I I just couldn't really affirm that because First of all, no one in this church treated me like I was a despicable sinner and absolutely worthless. They mm. they treated me with a bunch of love, and and you you know there's these paintings on the wall of Jesus with kids on his shoulders, and everybody around him is just kind of at ease and and full of joy. And when Jesus walked through, he didn't make people feel despicable. He everybody felt great around around Jesus. And you meaning the sinners that ate and drank with Jesus didn't <laughs> eat and drink with him because he loathed them so That's much? That's right. Yeah. And so it just <laughs> there was this fundamental disconnect in my mind in my heart about about you know this view that people were working so hard to portray about themselves and it just seemed inconsistent um, and this was in the early 90s too and so at ch- at church I had this low view of of human nature and then I'd go to school and it would be the total opposite it would be you know you are wonderful you're great just the way you are you're special and all that kind of stuff yeah and and so I'm like I, I just felt like I was getting pulled in two opposite directions and um, and it wasn't until I was in college that I realized you know what these these are two fundamentally different views of human nature, and they've been with us since Aristotle. I mean, they've been with us since the the Greeks. And uh, and and in finding this teaching on Jesus, I feel like um, this teaching offers a third way, a road between these two ditches. Okay, okay. So 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 in my experience, though, um, a lot of people in our church come to us like worn out, 
mm-hmm. um, beat up by shame. Yep. Right. They're, they are fully in touch with their quote total depravity. Yeah. And they've sort of beat themselves with that yep. into sort of submission to this religiosity and it's, it's killing them. Um, you, you, you invent this word humilitance. Yeah. Humilitance. Yeah. yeah. Humilitance. Yeah. Yeah. It's French. Yeah. 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 Right. Right. Yeah. Uh, you know, here's the problem is that everybody wants to be humble because Jesus tells us to humble ourselves. And every, if you ask anybody, is humility good? Everybody will say, yeah, of course it's good. But if you view humility as the opposite of pride, then your, your only way to get more humility is to become more shameful, to become more self-loathing. And um, and so, yeah, that's that's exactly right. That's what a humilitant does. So then tell me why then me not just taking this positive, I'm good, like why not just focusing on self-esteem? Why isn't that the answer? Yeah, I, I, think, I think there's a few things that are problematic with that. Um, well, first of all, self-esteem is a good thing if it's justified. You know, we just watched the the Mr. Rogers documentary. Oh man, so good! It's so good. And uh, and here's this guy who is just making kids feel worthy. Yes. And dude, I read this review. Like, so Rotten Tomatoes is like ninety eight percent positive. Yeah. yeah. Um, and the I was like, okay, who who says this documentary <laughs> isn't good? And I click on his review, and his review was. Um, negative because he couldn't believe that Fred Rogers, that that was all to Fred Rogers. Yeah. He was like, the the movie hints that maybe he was more complex and there was some darkness and some skeletons in the closet, but they never really go there. And so you're left with this caricature of a man who can't, who couldn't possibly exist. Right. Um, and I, and as I read the review, I'm like screaming out loud, no, he did exist. Right. And he was beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, anyway, sorry. Well, and, and, and here's the here's the takeaway. That, and, and I don't know all the details, but I think Fred Rogers was a Presbyterian Presbyterian trained minister or something yeah, like minister, that. And, yeah. and I think that he had God in his life, and there were some hints of that in in the the documentary. But um, it, it's great. I mean, even Carl Rogers, sort of the the father of humanism, um, he said that people need to feel unconditional love, that they are worthy in this fundamental way. He called it unconditional positive regard. The problem with that is we have mechanisms in place to detect BS, and and mm. that feeling needs to be justified. It needs to be based on something, mm. and and if you don't have some something outside of yourself to base that on, it's worthless. It does it doesn't mean anything. Dude, my my four year old his first his first soccer league he was in, um, he played. He was on an awful team. They lost every game hmm. by like two goals. He was the best player on the team and he wasn't great at four, you know, at four. Right. Anyway, at the end of the year, they had the award ceremony and everybody got a trophy. Wow. Like a participation trophy. It's kind of like, you, you know, this is the the bane of some people's, uh, of the, our culture is that everybody gets a participation. Anyway, come home and I'm like encouraging him and he's holding this trophy and he goes, dad, we lost every game. <laughs> And they still gave me a trophy. It's so like my four-year-old gets right. that, like yeah. I don't, I didn't earn this trophy. Right. This isn't a, this isn't an accurate representation about how well our team did. Yeah. That's what you're talking about. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and and we, it, it's interesting because we on the way up, we did, we were just in Florida and we're now here at your house. And yeah. We've been driving up from Florida and we've been listening to this documentary, this uh, podcast documentary on Heaven's Gate, which was this cult where everybody kind of you know committed suicide because they thought by dying they would catch this UFO and they would be beamed up into this UFO. Yeah, sounds legit. Yeah, yeah. But but the 
interesting thing that this podcast does a really good job of showing is how much bonding and how much love this group had for one another. Hmm. And the leader of this group had just this tremendous love and uh, towards these these people. And um, but obviously that wasn't founded on anything real. And you see the consequences of that. Hmm. Love, it, that that feeling of being good is not enough. It has to be based on something. And that's where I think Christianity um, offers a, a really good foundation in that your value and your worth is based on the love of God revealed in Jesus Christ on the cross. Right. And so, Right. Okay, so then say more about that. So my... My self-esteem isn't based upon my uh, competencies mm-hmm. or other people telling me I'm okay right. or my sinning in the world. And it it also isn't based upon the fact that even though I'm worthless, God paid this ultimate price mm-hmm. to make me worthy. That's right. Right. Yeah. So, what does it mean to embrace a um, like a robust sense of inherent kind of goodness and worth? Mm-hmm. But also not wink or or sweep my evil or badness under the rug. Yeah, and that's the tough. That's the that's the challenge. And um, th- you know these two ditches that I talked about. The ditch of smallness is really good at embracing our sin and and you know helping us not delude ourselves into thinking that we're more righteous than we are. And the ditch of bigness is really good at making us feel valuable and feel loved. Uh, but they tend to ignore sin. And, and because if you're good enough the way you are, then sin must not be that big of a deal. Yeah. And, and so uh, I think with, with Christianity, the first thing to realize is that your value and your worth and your security is based on something outside of you. It's not based on anything you do. It's just, you know, even when you are at your worst, and you were as far away from God as you could be while you were still sinners, Romans 5, 8, uh, God died for you. And, and I think the way that Greg says it is, is so perfect. You know what something is worth by what somebody is willing to pay for it. And the fact mm. that, that God was willing to sacrifice his son and to go through this tremendous suffering, this tremendous injustice because of his love for us shows us what we're worth. Yeah. And since that was when we were at our worst— then it must not be based on anything that we do. That is, it must be some inherent value that we have in God's eyes. Yes. Um, and, and so by separating our security from anything that we do and just base it on God's love, um, that sort of uh, opens us up to, I think, um, a better way of looking at ourselves. Because here, you know, just because we're secure um, doesn't mean that we're already everything that we need to be already. And so, yes. you know, because when we think of love, we think of of ourselves loving and we're amateur lovers at at best yep we love things that we think are good and so the ditch of bigness will hear that god loves us and they'll say well of course god loves us we're so good but that's not the case (laughs) god loves us even while we were still sinners Um, and because he loves us so much he wants us to be so much more than what we really are we're not already there we're not already what we need to be we have a lot more that we can do um and so that's that's the first part of it. Yeah. So so then I, what I hear you saying is, we can't we can't um, have enough pride to fix our shame. That's right. And we can't heap enough shame on ourselves to fix our pride. That's a really good way to put it. Right. So it's a ze- so I wish I had that in the book. That was, that's that's nice. <laughs> right. So I mean this this is what you're saying in the book, uh, and so this is why what you're saying resonates so deeply with what we're doing at Gravity Leadership because. Uh, what we're finding is that there's these toxic spiritualities mm-hmm. that have developed within American Christianity, and it's all, it's all about, I mean, to put it in sort of biblical language, it's all about the flesh seeking to um, fix the flesh, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. So we're using maybe the weapons of, even the tools of the enemy, shame is a tool of the enemy, mm-hmm. right, to 
to fix what's wrong with us, right? And maybe we can have like, maybe shame will keep me from doing something bad for like a season, but it won't actually lead me into becoming a humble, loving person. That's right. Right? Yep. It, may, it may keep me from like gambling all my money at the casino mm-hmm. away because I'll be embarrassed, but it won't actually lead me into a flourishing life that's with, right. in my economy. Yep. Yeah. And, and that's why the ditches are so appealing to people because a lot of times people will get hurt by the teachings of the ditch of bigness. Um, and, and I talk in the book about how the ditch of bigness inevitably leads to oppression. When you mean big, bigness of self, right? Yeah, bigness of self. Yeah. And, and, and so, um, you know, for instance, uh, you, if you believe that you're good enough just the way you are, and you believe that you should surround yourself with positive people. And that's sort of what the Ditch of Bigness is. It's this self-esteem and positivity. Those are the two yeah. beasts of the Ditch of Bigness. Um, that's inevitably going to lead to oppression because if you're good enough just the way you are, uh, that means that the problems of the world inevitably lie in somebody else. Yes. And and the more you surround yourself with positive people, the less likely you are going to be challenged on that hypothesis about yourself. Yes. And so the more and more your view of yourself is going to grow. Uh, and, and so that eventually leads to suffering and pain. Um, and so the ditch of smallness then offers a really good solution to that. Yeah. Uh, except that it creates a new beast, which is shame. And that causes a lot of pain. And people look at that and they get hurt by that and they say, I'm sick of viewing myself so lowly darn it i'm fantastic this yeah. is the solution and that is a good solution but the problem is is that it's it's just a solution with another pain right uh, right it's flesh it's flesh seeking the it's the yeah. ego trying to fix itself with That's more right. ego so i just had this epiphany and you may mention this in the book and i missed it but it seems like uh because these are both toxic realities mm-hmm. that um there's sort of this um a toxic cocktail that happens when you get a leader who's a narcissist, mm-hmm. who thinks they can do no wrong, right? Everything, mm-hmm. even their burps smell like <laughs> roses, right? Um, and they preach a message of smallness. Yeah. Oh. So you got somebody who views themselves with the bigness narrative mm-hmm. and then tells everybody else that they're worthy and loathsome, right? Right. That's yeah. like, that's like a, that's like a, bleach and uh, chlorine together. <laughs> sounds <laughs> right? terrible. Right? That sounds terrible. But that's, I think... I think, and this is what drives me crazy and is perplexing to me is that, and we're talking about it in this series, is that we have this attraction or desire for that kind of narcissistic leader. Mm-hmm. Like they, they have the biggest churches, not because people are like, oh man, this guy's awful. Let's get closer to him and see how much <laughs> right. destruction he right. can make. Yeah. But because there's something in us that we, we basically traffic in their confidence, mm-hmm. right? We feel insecure, scared, angry, and but they've got it figured out. They're confident. They right. feel, you know, they're really secure. And so we sort of attach ourselves to them yeah. to yep. sort of get our own security right. in that. Yep. I think that's right. And, and, and you know, we have little mantras and, and little principles in this society that I think are flawed if you look at them closer. One of them is, you know, for instance, you are the average of the five people you surround yourself with hmm. uh, is sort of a popular kind of mantra. I hadn't heard. heard that before. Oh, you haven't? No. Okay. And, and it sounds really good. Um, and, and it might be true in a certain sense, but, you know... Uh, we're called to hang out with the lowly and the meek and people with problems. And, and so you have to figure out why would Jesus tell us to, to hang out with these people when we're the average of the five people. It sounds like we need to hang out with good people and great people. And we yeah. get this idea that if we can just rub up close enough with like great people, we'll somehow become greater as well. Mm. And all of that is sort of an, an effort that we're making to make ourselves secure 
by others. And what Jesus teaches is that the only way you can make yourself more secure is by recognizing the sacrifice that God made for you on the cross. And that is, your security is already there. Yeah. The, the fact that you're looking to get security means that you don't recognize the security that you already have. And that's the the key or uh, secret. <laughs> yeah. You should have called your book The Secret, <laughs> yeah. right? I don't know if uh, somebody's <laughs> used that title before. Uh, that's the secret of actual humility. Mm-hmm. It's it's not ridding all the pride from your life yep. or overcoming your shame by positivity, but it's securing yourself to the love of God revealed in Jesus. That's right. Yeah? yeah absolutely. So that's that's like the impetus behind Gravity Leadership. That's why we started it. Uh, yeah. we, wanted to, uh, we wanted to construct a leadership, discipleship, missional paradigm that actually tr- takes God's love seriously, mm-hmm. like as the strongest, most transformational thing in the universe. Um, but what we find is, Dan, and I want you to speak to this a little bit, because it's the key point of your, of your project, is that we have such a vacuous, anemic imagination for what love is. Yeah. Love is like sexualized or sensationalized mm-hmm. or sentimentalized. Yeah. And so help us, because your, 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 your thing is that you only find confident humility mm-hmm. in learning how to live out of and trust God's love. That's right. So how do you... Give us some handles on that. What, what are some practices or ways into that? Well, uh, the first thing I would say, just to emphasize your point, is part of the reason why I was excited to write this book is because, and you've probably noticed this well, when people first hear about God's love for them, some people, this this realization just like overthrows their life, and it totally revolutionizes their life. Other people, it doesn't really seem to do much at all. Yeah, 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 yeah. God and, loves me. Yeah, right. And and it's like, well, why is that? And partly because maybe they don't understand it or they don't believe it. But I believe another big part of it is because they're holding on to other beliefs that sabotage that love. Hmm. And the two ditches that I talk about in the book are, are I think, two of the strongest that there are. They lead to shame and arrogance, which I view are sort of like dysfunction steroids. No matter what you have, whether it's depression, anxiety, it makes your depression darker, your anxiety, you know, more horrendous, your addiction stickier. I mean, it's just like this steroid for I dysfunction. Wonder, I wonder if arrogance can exist without shame. And I wonder I if shame can. can exist without arrogance. I don't think it can. And this is why. They're parasitic. They're That's like antagonistic right. off of each other. That's right. And this is a good transition to the second point. Good. Uh, if you think of like shame is always feeling inferior to others. And arrogance is always feeling superior to others. Yeah. Both of those imply a hierarchy. Yeah. You can't have shame or arrogance if you don't believe that there's a hierarchy. Or another way to say it is, in order to have shame or arrogance, you have to believe that some people actually are better than others. Otherwise, you can't feel inferior mm. or superior. Mm. And Jesus sort of overthrows this in Matthew 23 yeah, when tell he us says, about that. Yeah. yeah, so in sort of the gist of this is that he tells people, you know, don't call anyone on earth father. So don't don't exalt anybody. Don't call anybody on earth teacher. Even though he uses this in the same passage, yeah. he refers to the Pharisees as teachers. So it's not the title that Jesus is worked up about because he uses these titles all over the place. It's the exalting of other people that he sort of fights against. Yeah. But then he also says, don't let anybody call you teacher. Don't, don't, uh, don't you know? Be above others. So don't be below others, and don't be above others. And right in the middle of that, he says, "You are all brothers and sisters. You are all the same. You are all equal." Yeah. And and that just makes sense because if you believe that God loves us with an unsurpassable love, the math the math of that just means that we are equal. So for instance, if God loves you with an unsurpassable love, and He loves me with an unsurpassable love, that means that if He loved you more than me, 
my love would be surpassable. Yeah. And that would be a contradiction. Yeah. And so in order for God to have an unsurpassable love for everybody, it means mathematically that we are all profoundly equal in this worth. Yes. Yeah, so my, my worth and value isn't based upon social hierarchies That's right. that we construct mm-hmm. out of our pride and shame, our arrogance and shame, That's to right. compete, make it a zero-sum game, mm-hmm. scapegoat, and sort of feel better about ourselves. That's right. But our worth and value is based upon God's esteem of us. Yeah. Right? And us being created in his image, which gives us inherent worth and value. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And and then we learn how to participate in that as we overcome. So one of the practices then is overcoming the worldly hierarchies that we create That's that right. distinguish value and worth between people. Yeah. Well, and, and I don't think there's anything inherently wrong with hierarchies. You know, for instance, uh, if, if like you... Da- like, like dad and, and child. That's right, dad and child. And there's nothing inherently wrong even with, with somebody having, the example I use in the book, having total authority over everybody in the community when it comes to sanitation. <laughs> you know? <laughs> I, somebody's got to have that responsibility, yeah. and, and we can't all have that responsibility. I don't want that responsibility. I want somebody to have total authority about that, and they can make decisions, and, and that's fine. Or you know you you have to have education. I mean if if I if I want to ha- if I need to have heart surgery, I want somebody who has authority, somebody who has been trained and has gone through all of these you know uh, testing and, and yes. they know what they're doing basically. Yes. And I don't want just some schmo off the street to give it his best shot because they're all equal. Right. And, and so there's a place for those types of of uh, hierarchies, but the problem is is when you believe in this fundamental inequality, it's it, it's a delusion. Jesus says you are all brothers and sisters. Yes. He doesn't say. Try to imagine yourself as brothers and yeah, sisters. Yeah, he proclaims it to That's them right. as a reality. He says this is true, which means that inequality is unreality. It's a delusion. And if you're in that delusion, things get screwy in your head, and, and you really view people with a PhD as somehow better. Than people yes. without, yes. and that's the that's the sickness that Jesus is diagnosing. He's not saying that people shouldn't have authority. He's saying that people shouldn't exalt others because of their authority, and people shouldn't exalt themselves because of their authority, or in, feel inferior if they don't have that authority. Yes, and, and that's the sickness that he's going that he's going after. Um, and so that's where, and that's also where uh, power becomes dangerous because if you believe that some people are better than others, uh, there's an incredible amount of pressure to be as high on that hierarchy as you can be. And that's where people start to abuse power because they think it matters to their own worth. They think it matters to their yeah. own personhood to be higher on that on that hierarchy. And Jesus is saying, it doesn't matter in any relevant way how high you are on yeah. that. But when you think it really does, then that's where you start to make moral compromises and you start to do things that you shouldn't because it's, it's, uh, it's perverted in your head how important that is. Yeah, and you have some provocative diagrams in this book, Dan. The language... Uh, that that gets at the language we try to use. So the top-down sort of leadership, which is the um, not-so-among-you Gentile mm-hmm. leadership, right? Then the bottom-up leadership, which is kind of uh, the re- reaction to that, right? So the leaderless organization is just sort of a vote, and who the tyranny of the of the, of the bottom gets to That's whatever. Right. We we call it a center-out leadership, where er, like ev- like everybody's in the center. Um, and so there's an equality there, but there are people invested with certain responsibilities mm-hmm. and commitments to others that is not about uh, securing and maintaining and leveraging and coercing, but it's about empowering, mm-hmm. right? So Jesus, who has the most authority, who's 
ever been given, couldn't wait to give his authority away. Like right. he couldn't wait to invest people yeah. in. I mean, he's sending people out. He's leaving them by themselves to argue with people. And he's, you know, and they make tons of mistakes, but he'd rather invest people with authority that make mistakes that could do 3% of what he could mm-hmm. than keep the power to himself and do everything perfectly. Right? Yep. And so part of what I hear you saying, love embodies and lives like, because we need imagination for this, is being with and for others rather than over or under, uh, like over or against others, um, to invest and empower and sort of release them into their Mm God-given abilities and competencies. Yep. I think that's, I think that's, uh, that's, first of all, that's beautiful. And that's a great third way uh, between those two other options, which I think both lead to dysfunction and terrible situations. Yeah. Um, but the other thing, and, and, and I don't really focus much on, um, groups in the book. Mm. I really focus on the individual because arrogance and shame are very, that's what we experience and it leads to all sorts of social problems. Uh, but I really focus on the self and how, how do we overcome these things inside of ourselves? Because I think that that will ultimately heal the social stuff. But I will say this about, um, how empowering it is to, to look at it this way in, in that, if you just think of like somebody who's trying to learn to play the violin, for instance, if you're operating from the delusion of inequality and you believe that some people are actually better than others, you're inevitably, you're inevitably going to be trying to get higher on that hierarchy. Yeah. And everything you do becomes sort of a stepping stone for yourself to get up there. But what happens then is everything that you do takes on all this extra weight. And I don't think it's a coincidence that Jesus tells his disciples that the Pharisees tie up heavy burdens and put them on men's shoulders. Mm. And I think part of that burden is this exactly, where people are trying to be good enough by what they do. Yes. And and that just sabotages everything. So if you're trying to learn how to play the violin, for instance, it's not just about playing the violin. It's about how good of a person am I by being a good violin player. Yep. Uh, whereas if you're already secure in God's love, now you can just play the violin for the sake of the violin. Right. And and I think if I'm a coach and I have a kid who's trying to be some special person by playing the violin, or if I have a kid who just feels secure in themselves and they're just playing the violin for the fun of the violin, I can guarantee you that the kid who is secure in themselves is going to be a better violin player. Because if you're always worried about yourself and your own security, yep. that's going to sabotage your attention. It's going yep. to sabotage your, your effort. It's going to make you anxious and you're not going to be able to focus on things like emotion regulation and yes. controlling your fingers and feedback from the audience and you're just there's only so much mental space that we have and by being secure in God it just makes confidence so much more available to yes. us yes yes and so and so what you're describing is love frees us up from identifying ourselves with i am what others think that's right or i am what i have or i am what i have accomplished mm-hmm. right um, and it frees us from all those idolatries. That's right. Right? And lets us simply uh, know that we have all we need, mm-hmm. that um, what others think of us is less important than what God thinks of us, right? Yeah. And that... And that um, He's pleased with me. Yeah. Already. Yeah. And the and the and the the fa- the fascinating irony of all that is that the person who doesn't get so worked up about their performance in the long run performs better. Yeah. It's they just, do it uh, out of a pleasure and a joy right. and a that's freedom right. and a peace yeah. and a yeah. easy yoke even, right? Yeah. And I think that's true for leadership and groups too. If you can trust because basically when you're trusting other people and you're giving them authority, you're basically trusting their worth and you're trusting their security and God's love for them. You're demonstrating that, look, you're worthy and you're secure and I trust that you'll figure this out. And, yeah. and by giving that authority away, you're kind of reinforcing this idea that you are secure. 
Yeah. And oh, man, so so what you're casting vision for us here, Dan, is like this beautiful, like undiscovered country. It's like smelling a pie baking in the kitchen, mm-hmm. you know, that you can like imagine what it would taste like, but it's it's very foreign to many of us. Mm. Um, and so I, I just want to just maybe speak to our listeners, like what Dan's describing, living in this confident humility that you are loved and you can live out of that love and not apologize for it or oppress others with it, um, is, is like God cares about that more than you do. Like he's already at work in your life to bring that about. And so, so the reason shame sucks so bad is because God loved you. <laughs> and the yeah. reason why pride, other people's pride maybe, and your own hurts you and hurts the people you love and you experience pain there is because God loves you. Like we, the, 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 incom- the incompatibility of living a life full of pride and shame and people who find brokenness and distraughtness, um, and the reason why it doesn't work is because you weren't created for that. Um, and so I, I, I think, I think what we need, I, I, I talk to people all the time, Dan, who walk away from God because they think this pride, shame sort of bouncing between the two mm-hmm. is the Christian life, mm-hmm. and and they can't, the, their conscience is seared if they stay in it. Yeah. And, and what this book gives people permission to say is, that's rubbish. Mm-hmm. Like, that isn't what God's after. That's right. And so you can leave that God, good. Now, let me introduce you to the God revealed in Jesus, yeah. right? Because his love and the confident humility that comes from living out of that love is better. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Right? Yep. So thank you for writing this book, man. Uh, I'm going to, we're going to, we have a, um, we lead people through a a year-long training process of learning to live out of God's love. And uh, this book fits really well into one of our modules. And so we have suggested readings at the end of each of our thing, and and this is going right there. So I highly recommend it. Thank you so much. Thank you. When does it come out, Dan? Uh, May 7th. It's available for pre-order right now, uh, but May 7th is the target release date. Yep. All right. Well, grab it, friends. If uh, Pride, shame, if you want to learn more about love, uh, it's filled with wonderful stories from Dan's life as well. Uh, so Dan isn't just a smart guy, but he's um, a loving guy. He's learned this the hard way. So anyway, uh, thanks for listening, Dan. Thanks for thank you stopping by my house on the way back. I love that you have a whiteboard in here, by the way. It's, so. it's a massive whiteboard. It's great. <laughs> <laughs> I use it. My my daughter and I we write messages to each other right there. That's awesome. Um, she doesn't like to talk to me. <laughs> She's not, but she loves to uh, write me messages. So it's, she's and, a future teacher. Oh, that's all she pretends. She pretends to be a teacher all day, reads books to imaginary. Anyway, we can talk about my daughter later. Uh, We'll see you next time on the Gravity Leadership Podcast. Peace. Thanks for joining us for this episode of the Gravity Leadership Podcast. If you enjoy learning from this podcast, please be sure to show your support by rating, reviewing, and subscribing on iTunes. Be sure to share with your friends on social media too. And we would love to hear from you. So please email us at podcast at gravityleadership.com. You can join our online community for free at gravityleadership.com slash join. You'll get our latest content delivered straight to your inbox, as well as an email most Fridays with curated links to articles we found interesting or helpful. To join us, go to gravityleadership.com slash join.
You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details.